In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Greetings in Christ to each one of you. The sermon I've prepared today is a sermon on judgment. It's titled Wheat and Weeds, based on the Gospel text. It's also quite fitting for the rite of confirmation, which will be held this next Sunday. First, let me say, and just speak honestly with you, I am weary, and I imagine you are weary too. God be praised that Jesus invites the weary to come to him and find rest. But I am weary from all of the coronavirus stuff, and I'm sure you are too. I am most of all and increasingly weary of our government's position on these matters, and specifically the government's posture toward Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. Loud and clear, Almighty God has been told that he is not essential. Loud and clear, we have told him that we don't need his help that we will be saved by the doctors. Pardon me. No. We will be saved by Christ and him alone. And if doctors grant us a little extra earthly life, that's because the good doctor, our good physician, granted that in the first place. We have been told that we will be saved by a vaccine. No. Pardon me. Let's assume a vaccine comes and coronavirus disappears overnight, guess what? We're all still going to die. We are not going to be saved by a vaccine. We are going to be saved by the Holy Eucharist, by the medicine of immortality, by the blood in which we have life. We've been told that we will be saved by the scientists. Pardon me. No. No, the scientists are waiting to see if God will grant them a cure. The same God who our government has taunted and mocked and disrespected. Now, good doctors and good scientists, good Christian people know and understand this. But sadly, our government and so many of our people do not. We are missing the point of coronavirus. Repent. We need God. Most painful of all, pastors and priests and family members have been kept out of hospital rooms, kept away from hospital beds and the beds of those who are sick and dying, told no by the government, while the government says yes to lawless mobs marching through the streets, desecrating statues, our history, and even churches. A pastor cannot wear the same PPE as a nurse or a doctor and take the same precautions that they take and be admitted. Why? Because a pastor is non-essential. And that is precisely because he represents God, who, as we have said, is non essential. These opinions are not only godless, but according to good Christian doctors and nurses, they are inhumane. People are dying alone. God is not essential. 
Jesus is not essential. The Eucharist is not essential. But Walmart, Target, and Best Buy are all open for indoor business. Indoor shopping. And employees are allowed to work for eight-hour shifts with hundreds, if not thousands, of people coming into contact with them indoors. But one hour with people gathered here together around God and around his Lamb. No, that must not happen. That must be shut down and we must go outside. I'm sure you saw the bulletin in, the flyer in your bulletin today announcing that the 8 o'clock service will have no attendance next week. We'll be streaming this service. We'll have attendance out on the patio at the 10.30 and 12.30 services. I think that this is the wise thing to do, but I will be the first one to say that I am not happy about it at all. And I don't know how long we're going to be allowed to continue to listen to this government before we simply have to say, no, sue us, jail us, ticket us, do your worst. To listen to the government or the media, one would be, le- one be, would be led to believe that churches are somehow the most dangerous, germ-infested place a person could possibly be. Now, you don't have to have the gift of spiritual discernment to see who's behind that kind of lie. Churches, in the middle of a pandemic, are the most dangerous place to be. But again, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, have at it, friends. We should pray for those who are inventing and enforcing these godless opinions and rules. We should pray for them, and since we are a democracy, we should also take note and vote them out of office for their own good so that they do not heap up more sin and more guilt upon themselves for the day of judgment when they stand before the throne of the one whom they have called non-essential. The parable of the wheat and the weeds is a parable about this very judgment. All men already know there is a judgment. Strictly speaking, we don't need Scripture to tell us of the judgment. But our Lord Jesus and the Scriptures emphasize this point over and over for our good. In the Old Testament, we read that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And in the New Testament... The scriptures say, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we see that there will be a division. There will be a judgment. The Greek word for judgment is krisis. It's the word from which we get crisis. A crisis is a judgment, and a judgment divides. As you've heard me say say already today, maybe a little too much for your taste, but alas... There is a crisis going on due to the coronavirus, and there is a second crisis 
going on in our country, and it is much bigger than the coronavirus. This is a crisis, a crisis, a judgment, an act of division, dividing right from wrong, guilty from not guilty, good from evil. Those who are for good are divided against those who are against good, for God and against God, godly or satanic. There is an immense difference between the baptized, believing people of the world and the unbaptized, unbelieving people of the world. The sons of God, or the sons of the evil one, as our text today puts it. Later today, when we have confirmation, it's so apropos and fitting that this text falls on confirmation because we are given, along with the confirmands, the ability once more to renounce the devil and to confess Jesus Christ. Two of the questions that you hear each year at confirmation, maybe you heard it at your own confirmation. Here's the first, good for us to think about. Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, unto death? Second question. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? Two foundational questions for our time. Where does our allegiance lie? And if we aren't faithful in the little things, how on earth would we ever dream to be faithful in the big things? Now, in the midst of these dark times, indeed in the midst of all dark times, that is precisely when the light and glory of God shines brightest of all. We think back to the darkness of the night that our Savior was born and came into this world, and a light shined in the darkness. And the scriptures say, in fact, our Lord Jesus himself says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Even so, in the midst of the darkness, the light shines. And that's true not only for our Lord's incarnation and birth, but it is also true for our Lord's crucifixion when the darkness shrouded the world from noon to three on that Friday afternoon. And the light of the love of God and the light of Christ Jesus, our Savior, and the light of the forgiveness of sins shine brightly. And we listen to our own Lord's commentary on this judgment. He says, this is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth... He's talking about his cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. We think, too, of the early church and the darkness that had enshrouded Israel and the pagan peoples, and the gospel bursts forth like a light, and the church grows. But there's a judgment everywhere where the light is accepted. The light is also rejected. And so, too, today, this very day, in the midst of the darkness of COVID and the weariness that I've expressed to you, we have confirmation. 
We have an opportunity to renounce and confess. The light shines even now in the darkness. And we recall those words of our Savior Jesus, whoever confesses me before men, I also will confess before my Father. Now what we see in our Lord's parable, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we also happen to see with our own eyes. Things aren't as they should be. That was true when Jesus was doing his ministry. It's been true for 2,000 years right up to the very present day. Things are not as they should be. Now, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why do things look the way they do? Even John the Baptist asked that question and had that doubt. If you're the Messiah, how come everything looks this way? And all these years later, we might wonder too, if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, Lord Jesus, then why do things look this way? And this parable of our Lord answers this very question in this way. Wait. Be patient. Don't take matters into your own hands. I've got this. After our Lord Jesus preaches his parable, his disciples ask him what it means, and he goes on to give a very plain, straightforward meaning. The one who sows the good seed, that's the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus. And the good seed are the sons of God, the sons of the kingdom. The bad seed, those are the sons of the evil one. And they've been sown by the enemy of the Lord, the devil. The close of the age, that's the harvest. And the reapers, those are the angels of our Lord Jesus. When the last day comes, Jesus will send his angels and they will separate the wheat from the weeds. And everything and all the complexity suddenly becomes quite simple. There are only two kinds, good seed and weed seed, wheat and weeds. There are only two sowers, Jesus and the devil. There are only two ends, the fire or the master's barn. What then is the final judgment to us as Christians? Far from being terrifying, it is comforting. It is the end of evil. At this we rejoice. At the close of the age, all causes of sin, that's the way the ESV translated, all causes of sin, all scandala in Greek, everything that would cause one to fall away from the Lord, all of these things are removed. And I think the ESV translates it rather anemically, all lawbreakers. Maybe even there's a little distortion there because it is said that they will gather up all who practice lawlessness, anomia, all scandala, all anomia, put away and put into the fire forever. All evil forever gone. 
the righteous, we who have believed in our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be gathered safely into his barn. And the righteous, Jesus says, will shine like sun in the kingdom of their Father. Such glorious promises, such wonderful light and hope for us today. Christ, He who we worship, He to whom we draw near, He is the one who on the last day sends His angels to gather us safely into His barn forever. It is He who blots out our iniquities with His own blood and thus makes us righteous. Good seed, good wheat, worthy of His barn. He who by His own blood washes our robes and makes them white without wrinkle or stain. He who with His very word by which the heavens and the earth were made now declares us to be forgiven, absolves us so that we might have clean hearts and right spirits. Christ, who communes us at His table, that we might have the forgiveness of sins, the true bread of immortality, the true cup of everlasting life. Christ, who at His appearing will cause us to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Let us this day be brought back to our own confirmations. And let this be true. The more we weary of evil, the more boldly we confess that Christ Jesus is Lord and God. That there is no salvation, no life, and no hope apart from Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.